this Christmas morning, I'm going to talk about something I believe that will be helpful to us to understand God's standard from the beginning, what God had in mind from the beginning, and how it was all manifested and is being manifested through Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm calling this particular portion of this series, Jesus Christ, the measure of God's standard. Jesus Christ, who really is the measure. He is the measure of God's standard. God has established a standard. He always has a standard. And in this, we come to understand his standard of holiness, that God is altogether he is righteous, and the Bible talks about how he's altogether lovely. But here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, let's go back to the beginnings to understand where it all began. It says in verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now all of this was strange to Adam, these references of death. What does death mean? Something that man had never experienced before but yet he spoke of the violation leading to death. And then I was focusing these last few weeks on that tree, that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These last few weeks, last few days, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I looked at that as a mixture. You talk about a fruit that will grow, that will produce both good and evil. Now, think about it now. First of all, we understand the Bible talks about how a tree is known by the fruit it bears, and then it talks about the fact that we are to, a good tree bears good fruit, but an evil tree bears evil fruit. But then you have a tree here that's a cocktail. It's a mixture. I would go as far as to say that it's a fusion of both good and evil. And when he talks about this tree, it says, when you think about it, it appears to produce what you want it to produce. It appears to be exactly what the doctor ordered. And understand, when you look at it, you will say that maybe this is something that I should partake of. And I began to see this particular scenario repeated time and time again throughout history, even to this very day, where we begin to see those things that appear to be good, and they hide under the guise of peace, look like it's going to produce peace, look like it's going to be the thing that will bring us to a place of tranquility, and as the Bible says, when they say peace, but they didn't just say peace, they say peace, peace. When something is repeated like that, it's saying we are letting you know the severity of the statement that was made. It's not just peace, but the depth of peace. It says that sudden destruction shall come upon them. And as I study that, I come to realize that when you talk about a mixture of good and evil, then it is saying that it may be something that is good with an ulterior motive. It's good, but what's behind the scene? What, what are you really after? Is it self-serving? Is it something that's good because I can get something as a result of doing good? Or what would be the very purpose behind this? I was thinking even when it came to uh, I, many years ago, I talked about going to a restaurant, 
And when you go to the restaurant, you can have the finest food. That, what do you like? You like, you like lobster? You like uh, steak? Do you, do you like uh, whatever you like? And, and, and then they cook it in such a way that it's exactly the way you want it cooked. But you had the opportunity to peep into the kitchen and find out that the folk in the kitchen are doing all kind of nasty stuff. Scratching all kind of places and touching all kind of stuff and, 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 and understand here they, they, you, you, you see them doing all kind of things with their hands, but yet they're touching your food and they're working it so to speak so that when you serve this meal, it smells good, it looks good. But what happens? Because you know what's behind the scene, you have second thoughts as to whether you want to partake of that meal. My pastor used to talk about uh, eating good food on a dirty plate. If the, dirty, if the plate is dirty, then I don't care how good the food may be, but if the plate is dirty, then you don't want to eat from that particular plate. And, and, and that's what he talks about. When the unclean touches the clean, it defiles that thing which is clean. So now we begin to look at this tree, this tree, this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and the prophet Michael, Micah rather, Micah 3.11 said something. He says, and he talks about, and we begin to see it historically, but then we begin to project it into our day and time. He said, her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? Let's stop there for a moment. Let's stop there for a moment. Now we begin to see the, the, this, this, this evil. He says, first of all, the heads take bribes. Her priests teach for money. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is the Lord not among us? In other words, isn't God still with us? Isn't God still among us? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Now, I'm painting a very dim picture, a very, I would say, dim picture of the times back then, and I'm going to show you how bleak times are even today, because if you don't understand that, you won't appreciate the light that has come. You, you, you say, I always talk about getting a person lost first before you get them saved. If you can't get a person lost, then they won't even know, they won't even see the passion and have a desire to be saved. But understand what has happened. This is the kind of environment in which they live in. He says, and, and, and then in all of this, uh, the thing that we have to be very careful is that we don't put forth efforts to try to justify our behavior. But we come to the place when we begin to see the light of God, when the Lord shows up, it is to despise that evil. Not only the evil that is around us, but we must despise the evil that is still in us. And, and that's the thing. Now, now, now could you imagine, you didn't come to church for that. You didn't come to church to hear that there's evil inside of you. You didn't come to church to hear that there are things that God is yet trying to get out of you. But let me tell you something, it is needful because if you'd appreciate the coming of the Lord, where Jesus Christ came on the scene, it must be within the backdrop of the darkness that resides within our times and the darkness that has resided within this world system. So now we begin to see where God begins to shine the light on us. That's how you got saved. This is how we get saved is that God's light begins to shine upon us, and we no longer find any justification for the things that we had, in fact, uh, we engaged in. And the repentance comes in. When it's exposed, that's when repentance uh, is necessary. No longer self-righteous, no longer engaged in self-righteousness, no longer trying to justify behavior, 
but say, here I am, here I am, Lord. I'm coming before you naked. I'm coming before you empty, realizing, Lord, that I am needy of your help in every area of my life. And, and that's where God wants us to be. Now, now, when we begin to look at even how the Lord dealt with a, a rich young ruler, you know, in, in 19th chapter of, of, of Matthew, he dealt with a rich young ruler. And, and, and this rich young ruler began to, I would say, compliment the Lord because he called him good, mat, good teacher, good teacher, good master. When he talks about good, good, we talk about the tree of good, knowledge of good and evil. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may in, I, I have eternal life? He said, so, so he narrowed this thing down. He said, so maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's something I can do that's good that will grant me eternal life. Maybe there's something I can do. Maybe there's some good thing I can do and I can buy my way into eternity. But the Lord didn't answer the question directly. He says, first of all, let me help, let me, I want to understand your definition of goodness. How do you define goodness? He said, you call me good, why call it, why you call me good? There's none good but one. He was really testing him to see if he in fact knew the source of goodness and whether he would be on the same page as the one who is in fact good. Because let me tell you something, it's more than a cliche, God is good. So why do you call me good? There's no one good but one, and that's God. He says, but if you want to enter into eternal life, what I want you to do now is keep, my, keep the commandments of God. And then he says, well, uh, keep the commandments of God. Which one? He said, I've done that since I was a child, since my youth. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness. You honor your father and mother. I did that stuff. I handled that. I've mastered all of that. He said, love your neighbor? Oh, yeah, I do all of that. He says, but then he talks about goodness, and he, atta he attaches it to perfection. He says, he says, why calleth my, thou me good? But then he attaches goodness to perfection. He is saying, now, if you are, in fact, as good as you ought to be, then you would be perfect. So now the question is, how many of you reach this state of perfection? Don't raise your hand. Please, please, don't raise your hand because we have to, we're going to call you to the altar first. But, but those who have reached that level of perfection have reached that place of goodness. So if you're not perfect, there's still some goodness that's lacking within your life. If you're not perfect now. So he says, so now he brings in perfection. He says, if thou would be, if you will, if you want to be perfect. Now, now uh, I got to tell you, next year we're going to do a whole lot of teaching on the holiness of God and helping you to understand why holiness is so important. And I'll give you a preview on it in this particular statement here. When we talk about holiness, the law is good because it exposes us to God's standard. The law, you hear what I say? The law is good because it exposes us to God's standard of goodness, righteousness, and holiness, even though we do not possess the ability to live up to that particular standard. Now, are you seeing something here? Are you seeing the need for a Savior? He says, so since we cannot live up to God's standard through the law, don't dismiss the law as being wrong or being inept, and that it's unfair of God to even require such a thing of us. Because if that be the case, then you reduce God to a level of manageability. You say, God, I cannot serve you unless I can relate to you on my own terms. But God sets a standard of goodness far beyond our ability to live up to. And he says, his standard of goodness is perfection. He said, if you would be perfect, 
He says, what I want you to do to expose to you your imperfection, I want you to take everything that you possess, regardless of how, how much value you placed upon it, I want you to sell it. And after you sell it, don't put it in your treasury, don't make a profit on it, but take what you have received as a result of selling it and give all of that to the poor. He said, and then your focus will not be upon what you can possess on this side, but what you possess in heaven. So understand now, his badness surfaced because he can let go of his stuff. Now, I want you to see something here. He said, he said, the evil, I didn't even know that evil was there until the Lord. Light began to shine in that particular area of my life. What am I not willing to release? What am I not willing to relinquish? If I'm not willing to relinquish a particular thing that God has pointed out to me and said, I want you to let it go, regardless of how you treasure it or value it, you too are walking away from the Lord sorrowfully because, look at the good and evil, because you want to do good, but you want to hold on to the very thing that's preventing you from reaching the point of goodness. You see, so you're caught between two opinions. You're saying, I really want to go all the way with you, Lord, but, but, but Lord, if you would let me keep my stuff, then I think we get along well. So, so understand what happens as we get a look at God's standard. God's standard is a standard of sinless perfection. That's high. Sinless perfection. Can you imagine this? Sinless perfection. Is that a place where there's no sin, sin missing the mark, sin uh, uh, aiming at something beneath God's standard? And, and understand that's sin because you're looking at something beneath God's standard, and then you may reach your, your goal, but it's still sin because it's not the goal that God has, has set for your life. So now, here's what happens. We said the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those. That's a judgment, right? That's a judgment call. When you call evil good and good evil. He said, you've made a judgment call that's beneath God's standard of perfection, and he says, woe to those that make those kinds of judgments. He said, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. He said, they're smarty pants. They see things their way, and they have embraced their own ideologies, and they're settled in on that, he says, and prudent in their own sight. He says, so they at a place where they said, well, in other words, put it this way, they make excuses. They make, they make allowances for things that God would have them to uh, be freed from. And then ascribing uh, to that particular standard, they are really, in essence, this is strong language, this is strong message, but it's going to get better once you see Christ in the midst of all this darkness. They are really God deniers because they are God and God despisers. Because when you deny God's standard, you deny God. So, so you, you begin to look at this now. So, so, so all of us have been in that particular place. That's why I say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have at one time or another been God deniers because we wanted God on our terms rather than God on his terms. So, so when you deny God, you're saying, Lord, and then we get upset with him, and then we get to the place where we despise God. Now, Going back to this whole thing of the law, even when David was wrong, he still loved the law of God. 
Even when David was wrong, even when David was sinning, he still loved the Lord God. He said, he said I realize that, that, first of all, it's pointed out to him, David, this is wrong. Now, I don't think that's the first time David realized he was wrong when it came to Bathsheba. I, I, I believe in his heart of hearts. He knew what he was doing. But he did it anyhow. He violated his own conscience and moved forward. And once he got involved in it, then he began to suffer the consequences of his failure. And, and, and what happened now, when, but he thought nobody would know about it. But God knew, but not only did God know, the prophet began to speak into his life and expose to him his sin. So, so now, when it was exposed, then David began to say, Clean. he said, I want you to clean, give me a new heart. I want you to restore me back. I want to, to bring me back to that place of, 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 of righteousness and holiness. I want to be at a place where I can even tell transgressors their ways. I want to be at a place where you renew the right spirit within me because I got the wrong spirit now. So understand this. So instead of being a God despiser, he began to repent of his sin, and he began to run towards God with, 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 with a passion and say, Lord, change me, because I, I, I realize now that the things that I really want, what I thought I wanted, isn't what I really wanted. I didn't want the consequences. I didn't want the penalty. I didn't want what would uh, actually be developed as a result of what I've done. But then in this particular day, I'm still getting to Christ now. I'm doing all of this to help you to see Jesus. In this day, this Laodicean, they call it the Laodicean age, because you know the Bible talks about you neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. We talk about mixture, uh, good and evil. Uh, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchres, or whitewashed graves. He said, you're half-baked saints those who make partial commitments but lose interest along the way. That's what he's saying. He said, so understand what he's really saying in essence. He said, those who in this day and hour, uh, uh, they, they lose interest along the way. They cover. They're neither hot nor cold, but they're lukewarm. The Bible talks about how deception from the garden now, he began to point to this particular day that would take place, and Paul made it very clear here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he said, he said that the very serpent that deceived Eve and that Adam uh, sinned as a result of hearing that which came to him as a result of mixture, he said in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, he said, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power. Now watch what happens. Look at the mixture. With all power. You say, well, powerful, that's good. All signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, listen to what he's saying. So he is saying now we begin to see the, the, the good in it. What is the good? Because we begin to see signs, powers, wonders, and, 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 but he says, unrighteous deception, but it's among those who perish. He says, so we talk about the mixture brings about, you, you see, deception. He said, because there's something that's lacking in all the things that they saw. She saw that it was good. She tasted it, but it tasted good, and that it would bring one to the place of wisdom. But here's what was lacking, but they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They did not receive the love for the truth that they might be saved. So the thing that would produce salvation is a love for the truth. He says, so the thing that was lacking in the experience was the love for the truth. So out of all the other things that we see with our eyes, the most essential thing is the love for the truth. Now hear me, church. That is essential. That's, you see, a garden is a place where things grow. We are to grow in 
grace and in our knowledge of the Lord. The Lord wants us to increase in the area of knowledge of who He is. What we understand of Christ is merely the, the, the starting point, but the Lord's objective is to bring us to a place where we begin to understand more and more. That's why you're here today, is to get an understanding. He says, he says get wisdom, and all thy getting, get understanding. There is, there are some, there is a depth in Christ that, that we have not as yet scratched the surface of. I haven't as of yet. I'm asking God for more. I said, Lord, give me more. I want to understand more of who you are. I want to know. That's Paul. I want to know you. I want to know the, 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 the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. I want to be made good. Now, now, now this is knowledge. The, the, the knowledge of, you see, I want to know that. But then he says, and to be made conformable to your death. Not only do I want to know it, I want to, I want to experience that to be made conformable to your death so that everything in me that would otherwise stand in the way, that you began to kill that within me, that I'm crucified to all of those things that I thought were good in and of themselves. But I've come to realize that in their goodness, there was something lacking. It was a half-truth, but not the whole truth. He says, so that's by any man means I may attain to the resurrections of the dead. So when God raised me in resurrection life, it's no longer my life, but it's his life within me. So he says, now, those who are perishing, they lost the love for the truth that they might be saved. Now, that's where we're headed in this, to understand true salvation. He says, and for this reason, when, when, he, when you eat of the forbidden, he said, then God will send them strong delusion you see, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, God turns them over when they refuse to have a love for the truth. When people find justification for behavior that's beneath the standard of God, then because they've closed their ears to hearing what God has to say, then eventually their lie becomes true to them. He said, well, this makes sense to me. Because when you eat of it, and I realize this, the more we partake of the forbidden, the more desensitized we become to the forewarnings of God. He said, it doesn't mean the same anymore. I can do it now. I don't even think second, give a second thought to it. Have you ever done it? It, it, it's, like, it's like the sheep that was lost. He, what happened? His head was down. He was nibbling the grass. The grass was green. Tastes good. And as he continued to nibble the grass, nibble the grass, nibble the grass, not looking up. And then eventually he found himself that he has strayed so far away from the fold that he is lost. And the enemy like to pick off those who are the stragglers, those who began to wander away from the fold. So in this, he said, they did not receive and they found pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, an incomplete depiction of God. Uh, the, attitude, the attitude would be, at least this is better than nothing. This is better than nothing. I would say to you, church, don't settle for an imposter. Look, it looks like, but not really what it appears to be. As I was studying this, I was thinking about even in this day how uh, certain things are being, uh, uh, I would say, advertised. They're being broadcasted. And we begin to see, we call, we call women who, men who dress like women, we call them female impersonators. And, and, and another word, they call it drag. Now, now we talk about, we have to be careful that our spirituality is not in drag. Think about that word, drag, drag. What is that? Drug. It, 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 it is, it is drag, dragging you down to a level whereby you're settled for the impersonation of a thing rather than the real thing. I hope you're hearing me. Now, 
Now, we come to the place of Christ. Let's look, at, let's look at today. Let's look at where we are because in this day and hour, we mentioned the great deception. This is Jesus talking now in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 21. He said, then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ, or look here, he is there. You see, now we begin to see the artificials. We begin to see the imposters. We begin to see many who come as Christ or impersonating Christ. He said, look here. Christ is in this. This is what the Lord wants you to do. This is what the Lord wants you to be involved in. Look here. This is Christ. Look there. This is Christ. He said, do not believe it. You would not believe it if you've been forewarned. But if you've not been forewarned, guess what you're going to do? You're going to believe it. You said, this had to be Christ. One time, <laughs> one time I was, uh, I was invited. They came to McAfee and Candler. It was some People that came with some flowers, roses, beautiful young uh, uh, oriental ladies came into our church, and they were giving us all flowers. Some of you might remember that. And they were handing us flowers, and, and, and I said, oh, such a beautiful, I said, you're the first, I've never had someone just come to church to bring me a flower. And she said, no, I want you to have it. I said, I, I'll give this to my wife. And I took the flowers, so happy to wife. So we kept on talking, and they said, and not only that, we're going to uh, give you an expense-paid trip to Seoul, Korea. I said, boy, this is really, this is really something. He said, all expenses paid to Seoul, Korea. So they were, we found out they were going to different pastors throughout the United States, and they were offering free trips to Seoul, Korea. How can you pass a thing? Hotel paid for food, paid, every, all expenses paid. And, and what happened, uh, I began to inquire because I said, nothing in life is just that's that free except the grace of God. I said, so what's the, what's the catch? What's the catch? And then we finally found, I asked the question, I said, are you, are, are you, do you know a fellow by the name of Sun Yen Moon? And they said, are, are you Moonies? He said, yes, but, but we are the unification church. We believe such and such and such. And such. I said, okay, I rest my case. I see now what you're after. So then later on, this is when Don Thomas was just coming on staff. We were in the mall, and uh, one of the pastors who took them up on it, uh, I was talking to him. He was a bishop, too, older, much older gentleman. And I said, uh, I, I said, I said, you actually went to Seoul, Korea with the, you know, I guess I didn't use any tact in it. I just came at him. I said, you went to Seoul, Korea with the Moonies, and, 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 and this man said that he's the second coming of Christ. He's the second coming of Christ. I said, so you were in that kind of environment. You know what the gentleman said? He said, how do you know that he's not? So I turned to Don Thomas. I said, Don, I'm glad I had a witness. <laughs> because if I had told you this, you never would have believed it. <laughs> but understand what happens. Look at the allurement. It was the trip. It was all of the, the, the trappings that were around that particular trip that made it so uh, attractive. And, 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 and what happened as a result of it, you, you see, you got to look at even the traps of Satan today. Strong delusions. They'll say, here's Christ here. There are false Christs and false prophets will arise and they'll show signs and wonders to deceive if it were possible, the very elect. This is that day, y'all. This is the day that we got to be very careful because that deceptive, you see, it would not be deception if it was easily uh, seen. If you could, if it was easily exposed, if there was no way for it to deceive you, to be deceived means it looked like, it appears as if it's the real thing. He says, so if it were possible, it would deceive the very elect. But you take heed. See, I have told you of these things beforehand. That's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm telling you of these things beforehand. Now, 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 understand, this is, we see, before Jesus came on the scene, we saw darkness and gloom. And then we begin to see darkness and gloom in this day. Why? Because we saw his first coming and now we're getting ready to see his 
receive his second coming. So, so in the first coming, the Bible talks about it here in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, and when they say, seek those who are mediums and wizards, this is Isaiah 8, 19, wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king. They'll curse their leaders. But not only will they curse their leadership, those who are in political office, they'll also curse their God because they have no confidence in any leadership. They will begin to tie their governmental leadership with their God. He said, but in that day, they cursed their king and their God. But here's what they'll do. They will begin to look upward. And they say, is there anybody up there? Is there anybody up there that could help us? Then they will look to the earth. They would look up there. They say, well, look like nobody's up there. Then they look around the earth and see trouble, darkness, gloom of anguish. And they will be driven into darkness. That's where we live today. They will be driven in darkness. So the greater the backdrop of darkness, the greater one has an apparent need for a Savior. Then if you go down a little further, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterwards, you see, he, he, he lightly esteemed them. He said, but then afterwards, more heavily oppressed her. The highly esteemed or the lightly esteemed become heavily oppressed. Those who had something that appeared to be, look at the mixture, to be uh, uh, applauded. But then they were heavily oppressed. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan and Galilee, of Gentiles. And then he says, the people who walked in darkness, who walked in the midst of all this darkness, deception, ruin, in the midst of all of this, they have seen a great light. We see a star is born. We see light bursting forth in the midst of our darkest hour. God, you see, in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of, of, of diseases, destruction and ruin, crooked politics, in the midst of all of those things that are happening and occurring, where they've turned a deaf ear to the Word of God, where now church becomes irrelevant, or I would say the counterfeit flourishes while the authentic is despised. In the midst of all of this, the light doesn't come forth gradually, but suddenly a light appears. Suddenly a light appears. Suddenly. When the Lord, you see, when it talks about the Lord coming, you understand what it's really saying. It, it, it's not saying you, when he delays coming, but when he gets ready to come, he's going to come. He's coming quickly. I, behold, I come quickly. They thought when he said quickly, that meant he's coming tomorrow. Quickly doesn't mean he's coming as soon as we think he's coming. But when he comes, he does not delay his coming. When he comes, he comes quickly. He said, who walked in darkness, they've seen this great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, as we live, upon them a light has shone. And then we go back to the narrative. You have multiplied the nations and increased his joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. See, God is now reckoning with what is happening within the generation. 
He says, and then you thought if you got a certain person in the office, you thought if you had enough money, you thought if certain things were in order that that would do it. He said, no, the Lord himself shows up. God shows up. He presents himself. And he says, he says, you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff on his shoulder. He said, the rod of the oppressor. The oppressor is the one that keeps you blind. The oppressor is the one that makes you think that you have to do the things that you're doing. The oppressor, the, the deceiver, has oppressed individuals willfully. You see, some oppression is against your will. We talk about those who have been placed in slavery against their will, but then there's such a thing as willful slavery. You're trying to get free from the oppressors that you have knowledge of, but what about the oppression within the heart? He said, you've broken the rod of the oppressor in the day of Midian. To every warrior, look at the vengeance of God. He's now coming as... A, 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 as a warrior, you see, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Every warrior's sandals from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fire, fuel of fire. Now, when we see all of this stuff, that, that's a gory scene, isn't it? That, that, that's the Lord coming in with a vengeance. The Lord saying, I've had enough. I've had enough of this. This has gone on as long as I can bear it. And that's what happens. You say, well, Lord, how long before you vindicate the righteous? How long before uh, you begin to, to make that line very distinct between what is right and what is wrong? He said, because right now I realize that even, this is what the woman said, the woman, Samaria, she said, when Messiah come, he will show me. The stuff that's in me. The reason I do the stuff that I do. I don't know. Paul said, that, that would, good, would, the good that I would do, I do not. And the good that I would not do, I find myself doing it. Because my desire is to be perfect, but I keep seeing imperfections residing within me. He said, but when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, you see, setting the standard perfection. We're going to be talking about that. Setting the standard perfection. When we set the goal high enough, then you will despise the imperfections that reside within you, even doing the stuff that you would much rather be freed from. Don't understand your own mind and your own will. Why do I do the stuff that I do? Why do I want the things that I want? If it does not measure up to God's standard, why am I after those particular things? Christ is the measure of God's standard. If it doesn't measure up to Christ, you see, then it's not high enough. You've not set your goal high enough. Christ is the measure. Christ is the measure. That's why he came. Understand, Jesus came at particular time. Let's get to that part here. This is what he says. I'm closing. Look what he says here. He says, now we begin to see that, that, that it says in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a child comes through the womb of a virgin, a child that did not exist before. That's why I say Jesus was the name given to him, but his mission did not begin at, that, at, at, at the Immaculate Conception. That wasn't the beginning of, his, of him because he is the Christ. But understand, unto us a child is born. So we begin to see the child being born, but then within that child, when he was born, was Christ. Christ in the child. Christ in the child. Unto us, the son is given through the child that was born. The gift was given. Son was given, given to humanity because he came. He became one of us. Christ became one of us. Christ became one of us. Unto us, the Son was given. Now understand, oh, ah, given, 
God giving us what we don't deserve. He gave us Jesus. He gave us the Christ in the person of Jesus. And then he took that name and elevated it so that he's given him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now, and now, what does he do? He says, we look at corrupt government. It, got, it had to go corrupt. It had to go south. It had to go the way it was going because it was in the nature of fallen man. It was in the nature of fallen man to engage in that level of corruption. But he says, but now true government shows up. He's not democratic, not Republican, not independent. But he carries the government on his shoulders. <laughs> he carries the government. Wait, wait a minute now. Where are the shoulders? The shoulders are part of the body. Christ is the head. Are you seeing something now? Christ is the head of the church, but the church has shoulders. He says, and the government will be upon his shoulders receiving the signal from the head. So now we begin to see true government based upon the truth, not based upon conjecture, not based upon what men would like, how men would like things to go, and how men would like things to be. Because government keeps changing based upon uh, what, whatever, whatever whim may take place within humanity. You know what? We think that uh, this should be happening and that should happen. I think we ought to have this right or that right or the other right. You see, that, that, that's this whole thing where government becomes uh, uh, arbitrary based upon uh, whatever direction men, mankind may go. And then the Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So if the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and if government follows the sway because what happens, government is reflective of the people and, and whatever position the people may take, then we begin to understand that the final word when it comes to government outside of Christ, you see, is corrupted. It is a mixture. I don't care what side you see. That's why I don't take sides and say Republican, Democrat, Independent, because I would say all of it's corrupted. It's all corrupted. I don't, you take it, well, this is God. Is Jesus a Democrat or is he Republican? Or is he, you see what I mean? So now government shall be upon his shoulders. There is a, there is your right way there is his right way, and here is the right way. Government shall be upon his shoulders. And he says, and then his name will be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. That word, oh, if you could hear that word, wonder, wonders, wonderful, wonders within him full of wonders, consular, to bring resolve to the issues of life. But not only that, mighty God, the Father of grace, everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. How long will this government? It will be expanded. He said, of the increase of his government in peace is endless. And then he says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward 
even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. God says, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. But how am I going to do it? I got to get rid of, I got to get rid of your stuff to replace it with mine. I got to get, I got to get you past your judgments. But listen to it now. The standard of holiness, we got to set that standard high enough. What do you say, Lord? If it doesn't measure up to the standard of holiness, I've set a standard that's too low. Lord, you're righteous altogether. Holy, holy, holy. That's, a, that's what the angels are saying. Is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of thy glory. Set that standard high enough. Even though I can't attain it in my own strength, and every time I try to attain it, I make a big mess of it. In fact, Jesus Christ rebukes me when I try to do it in my own strength. He says, woe unto you, Pharisees, Sadducees, hypocrites, because too much mixture is in you. But if I receive Jesus, who is the Christ, who has fulfilled all the standards of righteousness, everything that is required of God the Father in relation to the law is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. <laughs> he didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. Now, we're talking primarily moral laws because we understand ceremonial laws were there in order to point us towards Christ. They were there to, uh, to, to, to show us that, that there were depictions of what God was up to. But then the moral laws were there. They were all fulfilled through the person Jesus Christ said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, he said, he said, when the real authentic shows up, the, the, the shadows are no longer necessary. You don't need the shadow. You don't need shadows of the law. But he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. I say unto you. Now, what is this? Now we have Jesus. But you can receive this gift or, he, or you can reject it. But what are the consequences? What are the rewards of receiving? What are the consequences of rejecting? I would say to you this Christmas morning, receive the gift that keeps on giving. And what will happen? As you received Jesus Christ as the gift from God the Father to you. All that he is, all that he has belongs to you. So, Father, thank you so much for what you're helping us to understand, to see, and to know. And we realize, Lord, that it's by your Spirit that we come to the place of understanding you call it the spirit of truth, which is the spirit of grace, the spirit that came forth from the Father and the Son. The experience of the Son after he is given, ascending into heaven, and all that the Father knows has been sent to us in the spirit that we receive from on high. So, Lord, we open our hearts and we say, Spirit of the living God, live in us, live through us, that Christ may be seen in us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.